how many people in our country, how many people in our churches, how many people in this church are going to experience Christmas this year but not really even know what Christmas is all about? The truth is, I believe that you can be a part of a church, you can even be a follower of Jesus Christ and miss on the significance of Christmas in your life. And so this morning, I thought we would look at my favorite characters in the Christmas story, the shepherds, and ask the question, what are some lessons that we can learn from them as we celebrate Christmas this week? In fact, my prayer for you today, my prayer for you this week, is that you will have a Christmas like no other. Now, we cannot recreate what happened on that night in Bethlehem, but I believe that with God's grace and God's help and turning our lives over to Him, that we can experience this week a Christmas like no other. Look back in your Bibles at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. It says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. There are three things this morning that I think we can take from this uh, story of the shepherds and the angels that if we turn them into our lives and we'll use them in our lives, we can have a Christmas like no other. And the first one is this. We need to learn to expect the unexpected. We need to learn to always expect the unexpected. One of the things that I think God is wanting from our lives is that we must allow our lives to be interruptible. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it's a good one. Now, we need our lives to be interruptible. Now, for some of us in this room, that is particularly difficult. Now, if you walked into my office today or most days, you might not imagine that I'm a person that likes to have things in order. If you look at my office, you would think that I just am scatterbrained sometimes because I don't keep a tidy office. But I am one of these guys that likes things in order. For instance, if I decide to cook something and I have a recipe, I follow that recipe exactly. Now, some of you in this room do that. How many of you have a recipe you follow exactly? And how many of you just, well, whatever, it'll, it'll all work out in the end? How many are that way? Here's what I found, and I, this, this just proved it. Most of the time, one marries the other, right? Amen? When we're doing a recipe, Susan and I are working together on something, uh, I'll say, uh, all right, we need, the, we need the salt, and she'll just take it. I said, did you measure that out? 
No, I just put the salt in. Well, did you not measure the salt out? Wow, it's not going to make any difference. Let's move on to the next step. But it bothers me sometimes. All right? It says I need a quarter teaspoon of salt. I don't want 14 sixteenths. I don't want three-eighths. I need a quarter, right? I found out that uh, I have unfortunately passed this trade along to my eldest son. We're doing Legos together. You know his love of Legos. Eli loves putting Legos together. Eli is a step-by-step Lego putter together, all right? Every step we have to follow every, every time. You get the book, you open it up, you go step-by-step step until it is complete. Now, in some things in life, that works pretty well. The reality is that works really well for Lego stuff. Because if you don't put it in in the order that it says, you're going to mess something up. And I believe it works really well for recipes. That's just me. All right? But the truth is that living your life for Jesus does not work that way. Sometimes I find in my own life, and this is just your pastor confessing to you, that one of the ways that I get trapped in not experiencing God's fullness for my life is that I think I've got it all planned out. And that God ought to work A equals B plus C. And sometimes God rearranges the formulas. If you read the Christmas story, you know what I discover in there? Is God messes up everybody's life in the story. Amen? I mean, you get to the very beginning, and, and Elizabeth, Zachariah, they're having this, they're, you know, they're having a good, they haven't had a child, but they're okay with that. He's this older guy. He goes into the temple. He gets there. God says, you're going to have a baby. He kind of questions that a little bit. So God shuts him up. Right? So then you get to Mary. And Mary's a teenager. She's a normal girl. She's got her life planned out. She's got everything stepped. She, she knows what she's going to be doing. She knows who she's going to be marrying. They're making the steps towards that. They're in the betrothal process, the engagement process. Everything's moving along smoothly. The community loves her. She seems to be a good girl. Everything's happening exactly like she thinks it ought to. Suddenly an angel appears and everything is messed up. Joseph hears about Mary. And it says in Scripture, either because he was a righteous man or in spite of being a righteous man, he was going to divorce her quietly instead of putting her out for public spectacle. But an angel appears to Joseph and says, the child that she's going to conceive is not your own, but go marry her anyways. Messes up his life completely. These shepherds, I can guarantee if you would have asked them what they expected to happen on that night while they were watching their flocks, they would have never in a million years suspected that a host of angels would begin to sing to them. Right? Some of you just looking at me. That, that's not normal, okay? I haven't had that happen to me lately. It was an unexpected thing. And sometimes in our lives, God's going to bring unexpected events. And how we respond to them will allow us either to grow closer to Him or farther away. I mean, really, if we are open to it, God will make a habit out of interrupting your life. Now, the reality is some of you are very uncomfortable with that because you think, I've got an okay life. Everything's going all right. Everything's planned okay. Things are kind of smooth right now. I hope everything stays exactly like they are right now. I can guarantee you this. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know if you're excited about what's happening or you're depressed by it, but I can guarantee you this. Six months from now, your life will not be the same as it is right now. Amen? 
I mean, if there's one thing that I know is that life always changes. And there are a couple of ways that you can react to that. You can fight it with all that you've got. You can fight against it, rail against it, push against it, say, I'm not letting anything in my life change. Or you can be open to what God is doing and allow it to be something that helps you to grow in grace and knowledge and truth and in your walk with the Lord. If we are open, God will make a habit out of interrupting our lives. Now let me talk about a misconception that comes with Christmas and a misconception that comes in our Christian lives in general. And that is that people think that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. Right? How many of you have got a Christmas card this year that says peace on earth or Jesus came to... I'm not going to ask if you sent one out because I'm going to talk about it in a minute, all right? But it's a popular thing. The truth is that is never mentioned in Scripture. What is said there is that God's favor, God's peace will come to those on whom his favor rests. This is not a a beauty pageant, peace on all the earth kind of deal. In fact, Jesus, when later talking to some people, says, I did not come to bring peace to earth, but to bring division. How many of you got a Christmas card with that on there? Jesus came to bring division. It's not quite as popular, is it? But here's what we have to learn. God did not come to make our lives safe. But he did come that we might not have fear. You see, one of the things that I know is that one of the reasons that people hate having their lives interrupted is because they think that their interrupting of their lives will make them very insecure in life. And one of the things that we all treasure is security. Let me just tell you this, and you can go and get it out of your way if you want to say, all right, I'm just going forward with the Lord. I'm going to make sure I understand that is if you follow the Lord passionately devoted to him, doing what he calls you to do, you will never be completely secure in what's happening on your life right now. Now, I'm going to tell you that Scripture teaches that while we may not be secure physically or on this earth, that God holds us in his hand. So our ultimate destination, our ultimate safety is secure, but you will never be secure and safe and comfortable here. One of the biggest misconceptions in churches today is that God came to make us comfortable, to give us a life where we can have enough food and enough money and to sit in the right pew with the right clothes, with the right people and have everything just okay. But Scripture never promises that. What it does promise, and what's interesting is in all those people's lives that he interrupted, is that in the midst of interrupting them with angels, he had to reassure them all the time that he came or that he was coming not to make us safe, but he was coming also that we wouldn't live with fear. What are the first words out of the angels' mouths anytime they meet somebody? Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Comes to Mary. Mary's there. Mary is freaked out a little bit. As you would be if you were in your bedroom and an angel appeared to you. And the angel says, don't be scared. Goes to Joseph, and Joseph is there, and Joseph is freaked out a little bit, and he says, don't be scared comes to the shepherds out in the field. An angel appears and says, don't be scared. And it's really good that he said that to the angels when it was just a couple of angels because when the multitude got there, they would have been really freaked out. 
But the idea there is, and the idea throughout Scripture, is that God has come not to give us safe passage on everything in life to make it clear and comfortable. But the point is that God has come that in the midst of whatever storm or problem or, or trouble we are in, He will walk with us through it on a regular basis. What he says to these shepherds is that they have come. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The idea here is not that the problems of the world are going to stop. I mean, you've read the scriptures. The wise men come. By the way, there was one particular wise man today that did a great job in that performance. I don't know if you noticed Eli, but he was unbelievable. I don't know if there are any talent agents in the audience, but the wise men come, and they come, and they ask Herod, where's this king born of the Jews? And they go after him, and what does Herod do? He gets excited about that, doesn't he? Goes over, sees the king, bows down to him, says, whatever's mine is yours, take it if you want. Is that what he does? No. He sends out a decree that every child under the age of two is to be killed. So we understand very obviously that Jesus coming into the world didn't stop all the world's problems, right? In fact, if you look at that story, his coming into the world caused more problems. Here's what I know. In the midst of what we're going through as a country, as a nation, as people, and just life in general, what is happening in my life and the life of many of you, I cannot imagine what it would be like to live my life without the comfort of knowing that my Savior is with me. You want to talk about a scary place. You live in this world without the assurance and the comfort and the hope that comes only through Jesus Christ. That is a scary place. You know, I watch the news at night. I read the newspapers and, you know, it's consumed with bailouts and uh, murders and uh, convicted people and trials that are ongoing, all the bad news that is there. It's pretty easy to get depressed in the midst of that. And this week as we celebrate Christmas, the bad news is not going to stop. Amen? I mean, there's a real chance that this week there will be a major news story that is not positive in any way. And yet what I know is because of what happened on that night that I can trust my Lord in the midst of whatever is to come. I can expect the unexpected, but I can know in the midst of the unexpected that my God will walk me through it. These shepherds had no idea. I I still believe. I I mean, they knew it was a big deal, right? I mean, shepherds out in the field don't see angels singing very often, but I still don't think they had any idea that we would be sitting here today talking about them because of the magnitude of the event that they were witnessing. But what I love about them is, They were just simply open to doing whatever God called them to do. They were available. When the unexpected call came, they were available. On your handout, if you've got a handout, there's a little quote there from Max Lucado that I love that, that says that he didn't come to the seminary professors or to the theologians because they would have had to consult their commentaries. He didn't come to the elite because they would have had to check their calendars. He didn't come to any of those kind of people. He came to the shepherds because the shepherds were the one that wouldn't have asked where he was supposed to be born and how it was supposed to happen and if a manger was the proper place for a king. and Is this the Messiah that is promised? He came to the shepherds because the shepherds just had faith. I'm really excited about a series of sermons that we're going to start in January. In January, we're going to start a series of sermons on the parables of Jesus. 
And one of those that I've already been reading and thinking about and, and kind of contemplating in my own life is the parable of the prodigal son, which is really not a good title for it. Because the parable is about a whole lot more than that one son. It's really a parable about the father and his two sons. And what I find interesting about that is that most of us in this room, now there are some that could identify with the prodigal son, and there may be times in our lives when we all have a little bit of the prodigal son in us, but most of us in this room are much more like the older brother. And what happens at the end of that story is that the older brother won't even come in and enjoy the party with his father and his younger brother because things did not go as he expected them to go. And what's interesting is Jesus is telling that story to a bunch of sinners, tax collectors, and Pharisees. And it's very obvious that Jesus is talking directly to the Pharisees as the older brothers. And what he's saying is you are missing out on life's grandest time and moment because things are not happening like you expect them to happen. And my biggest fear for my life and for this church is that we will miss God doing something unbelievable in our midst because he's doing it differently than we expect it to happen. We're going to have a Christmas like no other. First of all, we've got to learn to expect the unexpected. Here's the second thing. Once that unexpected comes, we've got to learn to seize God-given opportunities. We've got to learn to seize God-given opportunities. That's what I love. After verse 13 and 14, with this great company of heavenly hosts appear, and they're praising God and they're singing. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds talked to one another. Now, you know this in the full conversation. Wouldn't you like to have heard the full conversation? I mean, first of all, they're going to have to pick their jaws up off the ground, literally. They're going to have to look at each other. I I just know it's a bunch of guys sitting around, and you realize that shepherds weren't the cleanest guys, right? Uh, You realize that shepherds could not even go into a worship service because they were unclean. I I read an interesting uh, story this week called A Redneck Christmas. had nothing to do with Tennessee, all right? It was A Redneck Christmas, and it was about Larry the Shepherd Boy. And it talked about how everybody saw them as backwoods people, rednecks, if you will, because they touched sheep, that they had to to actually deal with, with waste from sheep. And as a result, it's this interesting interplay where the priests needed them because they needed the sheep, but they would not let the shepherds even come into the temple to sacrifice or to be there while the sacrifice was happening. And so you have these shepherds out in the field, who literally were the last people in the world most people would have thought Jesus would have come to to announce something. That God would have decided to announce Jesus' birth to these shepherds. And so you've got these guys, and the the, the word comes, and they're just shouting. You know, I I can imagine these guys hitting each other in the shoulder going, Did you see that? You ever been around a bunch of guys when something amazing happens? Football game when somebody runs one back football game when your team looks like they're about to lose and they intercept a pass and running in for a touchdown. Guys start high-fiving, hitting each other in the shoulder, elbowing one another. Anybody even seen that? You're just looking at me. You been there? You seen that? All right. First time I ever had a home run, my dad hit his head on the top of the dugout. He just got so excited, he jumped and hit it. Guys just celebrate. So I don't think the shepherds looked at each other and go, wow, what do you think we ought to do now? Right? Alan, that's not what they did, is it? No. 
They were jumping up and down screaming, did you see that? Were you, was that dreaming? Was that, would that happen? And you know what I heard? No, this is what I heard. But I saw, well, what are we going to do now? Well, we got to go see that baby. I mean, that's what they said. They say, go see the baby. Let's go see the baby. If there's a baby, we got to go find it. Well, how are we going to find it? Well, they said go find it, so let's go find it. So they get together, and we see this taking of a God-given opportunity. The first thing that happened is they actually went to see the baby. They made the trip. Now, that seems kind of the dumb moment of the thing. Of course they did. But the truth is, there are times in our lives when we experience God in a worship service, when we commit our lives to the Lord afresh and anew, when God does something in our life to wake us up, we have one of those God-given moments. The unexpected happens. God gives us something that we are to do in response to that unexpected moment, and we sit around and do nothing. And so the first thing that we see in the lives of these shepherds is they simply Make the trip. It's not rocket science here. They go. Now, what I love about this is they were given some directions, but they weren't given a whole lot of directions, right? I mean, it's not like they had a GPS system tied to the manger, right? I mean, they had to go. I can imagine them going from end to end, door to door, stable to stable, going, is there a baby in here in swaddling clothes lying in a manger? You ever thought about that? They had to find the baby. They didn't have street addresses. The angels didn't say, by the way, take two lefts or right, and then you're there. They just gave him what to look for. Here's part of the reason I think that God did that. Because I mean, God could have told him exactly where it was. I mean, he gave the wise men a star, right? The reason I think he wanted to do that is because he wanted to make sure they were committed to finding what he put out there for them. Can you imagine if the shepherds had knocked on three doors and they didn't find it and they just said, you know what, it must not be true. We're just going to give up. We have tried that before and it just didn't work. You know, I mean, I've talked to my relative about accepting Christ at least twice and it just didn't work. So it's just not going to happen with me. You know, I I have tried to give that sin up in my life. I I have really tried on a couple of occasions to say I'm not doing that anymore, and it just didn't work. So there's no even use in trying again. One of the things that Scripture is very clear on is that our obedience will not always be easy. So they make the trip. I love thinking about the fact that, that you've got these people that are looking, these shepherds that are looking. And Scripture doesn't make it clear. We don't know if they brought the sheep with them or they left them in the field. We don't know. It just says they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph and sitting there and all of a sudden these shepherds are surrounding you, worshiping this child? One of the things that I believe is that Scripture teaches and that is evident even in this story is that when you do obey the Lord, he will put steps of confirmation all along the way that you are following his will. Think about Mary. Mary is told by the Lord that she's going to have this baby, and she doesn't understand it, and she's a little uncomfortable with it. We talked about it on Wednesday night, you know, that, that statement where she says, just if that's what you want, Lord, let it be as it shall be. You know, that's not really an affirmation of, I'm excited about this, God. That's just kind of whatever will be, will be. And so then he sends her to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth and her have this moment, and they're in a moment of confirmation, Mary, you're following, you're doing what I've asked you to do. Elizabeth says, this child that you are going to have will be a blessing. 
Mary goes and her and Joseph go to Bethlehem. They have this child. You can imagine the thoughts of Mary and Joseph when they think they ought to get there and they ought to have a place provided. I mean, they're having the Son of God. You would think an inn would be there. You can just imagine in our lingo thinking, well, if the Lord is going to have this be true, then he's going to open the doors when we get there. And they get there and every door shuts in their face. And they're lying there with this newborn wondering what in the world God is doing in their lives. And God decides to send as confirmation a bunch of shepherds. So these shepherds come and they gather around. They just do what God calls them to do. Verse 17, I love this. This is the second way they seize the moment. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They just simply told others. Let me make an immediate application for some of you in this room. Some of you in this room are getting ready to travel or you have family on their way traveling here. So you've got people, either yourself or others, making the trip. I would dare say that there are many of us in this room that as you gather around the table this year, there may be those in your lives that the Lord lays on your heart that you need to share with them what God is doing in your life. And as you're gathered around that table, the temptation will come to say, you know what, I know that's what I might supposed to be doing, but, but right now I just don't feel like it's the proper time. And so you wait. And a little bit later, it's dessert time. And you think it's just not the right time, and so you wait. And then later you're watching the football game on TV, just not the right time, and so I'll wait. Getting ready to say goodbye, the coats are getting put on, the hugs are being handed out, the presents are being packed up, and you think, I need to say something, but it's just not the right time, so you wait. Maybe this week, to have a Christmas like no other, it just simply means that it's time to share something with someone. Maybe that's a non-believer in your family that you just need to share what God has done in your life. You know, one of the things that ought to be true is that Christmas ought to be the easiest time in the world to start a spiritual conversation. Right? I mean, you're sitting around the table, you're sitting there eating a feast, not because of a national holiday. You're sitting there eating a feast because a child was born in a manger over almost 2,000 years ago. You think to yourself, Whew, this ought to be a time I could speak to him. So maybe just a point of application, out in the margin where you wrote making the trip and telling others, you might bracket those and you just might write the name of someone you need to talk this week in your Christmas celebration about what the Lord has done in your life. Here's the last thing. Not only do they expect the unexpected, not only do they just simply do what God calls them, seize opportunities, but the third thing is they worship the Lord with reckless abandon. Verse 19 tells us that the way married, or the way that Mary celebrated was that she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. But verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. A couple of things here. First of all, you see that they worshiped the Lord right where they were. They went back to their jobs. They didn't quit They didn't say, I'm done with that. They went back to their job, but they didn't go back as the same people. They went back glorifying and praising Him. Second of all, they glorified Him for what they had, what they had seen, what He had done. And one of the things that will make this Christmas a Christmas like no other is that if you take time to worship the Lord with reckless abandon, 
You know what I think one of the worst things that happens to us as we grow up is? We begin to care too much about what other people think. Amen? And we just care too much about what other people think. I mean, we've talked about this morning, the preschoolers. They didn't care what you thought at all, at least some of them. And they had a good time. They didn't care. You know, one of the things that's, that's uh, even a little disheartening for me is even to see as my oldest grows up, that's starting to happen. You know, we're in kindergarten. He's in kindergarten, first year of school. And even in the midst of that setting, I'm seeing that starting to happen. Those inhibitions are coming into place. Those ideas of what will people think. of uh, We don't play with that because that's not cool to play with. Or we don't watch that because that's not cool to watch. Or, you know, those kind of things start to happen where it's about what other people think more than what maybe we care about. And one of the things I am convinced about in worship is the reason that we rarely worship corporately like God intends for us to worship corporately is we care way too much about what other people think. Way too much. That we come into this place and the Lord lays something on our heart. And I'm not asking you today if you're a hand raiser or not a hand raiser, but the Lord lays on your heart in the midst of a particular song. You know what? In, honor to, in order to glorify and honor me at this moment, you need to raise your hands in a moment of surrender to me. And the first thing that thinks in our, or comes into our mind is, yeah, but what is so-and-so behind me going to think? Or we start to sing a song that is just a song you really like. And you really want to sing it out. But you think, what will so-and-so think if I do that? That's not just in corporate worship. It's in life in general. You know, God lays something on your heart to obey. And you say to yourself, you know, I really ought to do that. But I wonder what my spouse will think. I wonder what my children will think. I wonder what my parents will think. I wonder what my coworkers will think. If I follow what the Lord calls me to do, I wonder what people will think. And so we live our lives caged by the impressions of other people. When God calls us to live our lives in the unexpected places where we are living in God-given opportunities, recklessly abandoned to His will. If you today did not have to worry a single thing about what somebody thought, what would you do for the glory of God? Now some of you in this room may say, I have no idea. Then get alone with God and find out. Because what happened with these shepherds is it so changed their lives that they went out and proclaimed it. The video we watched earlier this morning talked about our lives being turned upside down. The truth is most of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, following the Lord doesn't turn our lives upside down. It just tilts it a little bit. It doesn't change who we are. It just rearranges some things. And what I see in the Scriptures in the New Testament is that is nowhere near what God has called us to do. They worshiped with reckless abandon, glorifying God with all that they are. What would make your Christmas a Christmas like no other? Is there somebody you need to reconcile with? Is there a relationship in your family that you're going to see this week that you need to come back together on? Is there somebody in your life that needs to know about Jesus and that you are supposed to tell them? Is in your life the reality that you cannot have a Christmas at all because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And for you, a Christmas like no other would be literally to accept Him as your Savior right now. What would a Christmas like no other be to you?